0: Hey guys, Conrad here. Just wanted to jet in before the episode to give a little bit of context. We did have some minor audio issues while recording this episode. We did our best to kind of tie things together and make it sound great, but there may be a little hiccups here and there. We think the conversation is still phenomenal, so give it a listen. We appreciate you listening to the show and let's get rolling. All right, hey there, Scott, how's it going?
1: Going well. The the smoke that cleared two weeks ago seems to have made its way back here. We'll see what 4th of July weekend looks like. We're headed into 4th of July. We are just talking about that and laughing about that before we got started here. Hard to to schedule a 4th of July on a Tuesday, but I I guess we'll see how it works this year.
0: Yeah, I think you joked before we hit record, Scott, you said, who planned that? And I was going to say, like, God or the Roman calendar? I'm not (laughs) sure, but I don't think it was anything that we could petition or change anything about. I wasn't sure on that one, but...
1: (laughs) I know we never actually get 4th of July because it's just gone, as Amy was saying, but minimally... Having it on a Tuesday, we wrestled with is do you open the call center for Monday and then send everyone back home on Tuesday? But, and we were laughing about the holidays for us. We always use Memorial Day as celebrating the start to everyone else's vacation. Yeah. And then yeah. we go into summer where it's just game over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Okay, Adam, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, Conrad. Fourth of July on the Outer Banks, great time to be here. It's getting hot. The water's getting warm. The waves are big. So our sports have transitioned into some summer sports. We're doing a lot of surfing, a lot of boogie boarding. But excited for this conversation today, we get to chat with Amy Highnote. Uh, Amy was one of the first people I connected with the industry, probably stretching back to probably about 2008 or so. We were deep into all of the uh, great changes that were happening on the marketing side. So we've connected for a long time on the marketing front. We were on the Verma communications committee together. And then we were at Keystone a couple weeks ago, and we started some interesting discussions around transitions that are happening in the industry right now. So I'm really excited to dig into those. AI, Vacasa, marketing, all of those pieces are coming together for a really exciting time in the industry.
0: For me, Adam, it would be the same kind of thing. I'd have to go back in my memory bank and just like the Matt Lando episode, I'd have to go back into my old Gmail and search and be like, when did I first reach out to Amy? It was probably like <laughs> 2015 or something like that. But anyways, if you can't tell from the title and such, Amy is here with us, Amy Note. So thank you so much, Amy, for hopping on. First of all, welcome. I can't imagine people listening don't know who you are, but if you don't mind giving a little brief bit on that, that'd be fantastic. And then as you do that, could you also share a song that best describes you?
3: Okay to make a list of all those things I need to. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Conrad, Adam, Scott. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. And so I have been in the industry for a while. I started in 2004 in marketing and Adam and I connected fairly early on. We were, before I got into VRM Intel, for sure. We were, and we were on that committee together. Later, we, the marketing people at that time, we all aligned because no one understood our pain. (laughs) We had to, we were learning SEO on our own. We were learning to code HTML on our own. It was, as you know, because you ended up speaking at our shows because we needed some help later on. But yeah, it was a tough time. There was a lot to learn outside because we all were traditional marketing people. And so we had to move everything online back then. It's hard to believe that much has happened in less than 20 years. It's hard to believe that the entire industry remarkably transformed and now it's about to do it again.
2: Yeah. To hear you say that we're approaching another transformation is really exciting. Back in 2008, when you and I were starting down this marketing path, everything was changing so quickly and the playing field was leveled. Everyone had the same opportunity. If you were the first to learn and understand the internet, you got to leverage that much faster and you could compete against much larger companies with much larger budgets. So to think that we're going through another transition and to hear you plan for that is exciting. Yeah,
3: I, you know what I think it is. We've talked, but I do believe we're in another one of those points. I So I started VRM Intel in 2012 and part of it, I built it to be a kind of a landing page for a lot of the data that we were working on at the time, the benchmark data. And that ended up as Jason invested in that company and turned around and took it and made key data out of it. and But we kept VRM Intel in that. So I stayed in this for a while. I also do events for the industry. And so I have a couple of large events, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but I also do regional events, which I think Conrad, the first time we met was actually in Wilmington at the first I think one. it might have been. Yeah,
0: yeah, it might have first been first in one. person. I think we shared yeah. some emails before that. And I think I wrote a, I think one of the first posts that I ever wrote for you went live on VRM Intel, and it was about some of Flipkey's SEO problems. And I basically explained, okay, hey, here's my analysis of it. And I tried to make it in a way that I thought made sense to even people who weren't SEO weird nerds like I am. And I think the outcome was pretty decent on that. And I remember I got like actual people reaching out to me who were like a part of Flipkey and a part of TripAdvisor at the time. And I was like, oh, wow, this Amy's website has like a lot of reach. Like people are very important to read this site. So that was my like introduction. Not, it was a little controversial.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Conrad stepping in it. Yeah. <laughs> Joining the club. Yeah, um, I think that back then, Adam, we used to do both. We had to do traditional, pr- traditional full marketing plans while we were learning online and then implementing online. And for a long time, we were doing both. We were doing old school traditional marketing and new marketing and trying to learn everything as it came up. It was an incredibly overwhelming position to be in, to lead marketing for a property management company at that time. I'm not saying it's not now, but it was, I don't think people realize what how much input there was and how much output was expected.
2: Marketing in 2008 was definitely overwhelming. There was a lot of opportunity, but it was almost too much opportunity because you had to go out and educate yourself and figure out how you were going to do it. There was no lesson plan to to go out and figure out all the pieces and connect them. It feels like we might be getting closer to something like that in the near future as AI comes on board. But my concern is that over the last few years, we got away from marketing. We got away from branding. COVID was just too easy.
3: Yeah, it's totally true, which I think is obviously doing us a disservice as an industry mm-hmm. Marketing is about is communicating expectations, like letting people know what they should expect from your brand and your company. And when, it, when expectations and reality don't match up, I think is when we see a lot of the problems that we have right now in the industry, just on a local level. And without having marketing working, really advancing and creating, setting that brand standard and really showing people, showing guests and homeowners what they should expect from your company there's a disconnect between what they what they're really you know what does that say in expectations finance reality equals disappointment <laughs> and i think that not setting expectations properly and not and how they're met i think right now it's a problem
1: it's funny you say that because we were talking we've been talking about this on top and i think you just nailed what we've been trying to say so many people especially and we call them the 2019 years right but so many people don't even realize that they need a brand or should have a brand. So they're just going, oh, this is super easy. Just keep going. We're and doing
3: Airbnb world. and Vrbo, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So brands are brands have gone missing. I write, I say that service and hospitality went missing. I mainly blame that on Picasso, right? Just in their approach. But I think even on the small side where they go missing is they're not chasing a brand, they're just out using an OTA and letting that be the business and it will be right.
0: You know what I think they're chasing though, Scott? This is my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are, Amy. I think they're chasing reviews. Like, I think I shared the story a while ago on the podcast where, Amy, I had a negative experience on, I booked through Airbnb because it was the only place that I could find for this weekend. And the, a roofing company arrived early and this was the day of our departure. So, okay, it wasn't completely unreasonable for someone to kind of have to do property maintenance, but they were like on the roof at like, 7 a.m., like ripping the roof tiles off of this house I was staying in. And I messaged the host and I'm like, look, I'm in the industry. I don't want to leave you a bad review, but this was like an unpleasant experience. Immediately goes into like apology and refund mode without even really me asking for that, and I was like, I know now why you have a five star property. Whenever there's any sort of little problem, you immediately start throwing me back a few hundred bucks as a refund to appease me, even though I never asked for it. So it made me change my perspective of some of these properties on OTAs like Airbnb, where it's like all five star reviews. And I think is that true, or is there really like you just bent over the guest to the guest will? And then they gave you a refund, and then you said, okay, I w- either won't leave you a review or I'll leave you a five star review.
3: If you're a guest, you have to look the reviews like you're a pro- Private investigator, like you have to read between <laughs> the lines, go down into the latter part of the paragraph where they say it wasn't very safe in this neighborhood, but the host made us feel really comfortable. You know what I mean, like that kind of stuff. Or <laughs> the a nine. Host,
0: she left a nine millimeter in the bedside table.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how to use it. <laughs> There's a there are a lot of clues in those reviews, but I, the fact is, the platforms penalize hosts for not having five stars and I so they have to do it but at the same time going back to what we were the original thing what expectations and reality like that relationship between what they expect what the homeowner expects from the service what the guest expects from the vacation and what actually happens is where everything can either be won or lost. So if the if reality exceeds the expectations happiness right if reality is not as good as what they thought was going to happen and then it's complete disappointment and then there are different levels of punishment around that or reward <laughs> but I do think the setting expectations right is the right thing and if being afraid of realistic reviews doesn't help anybody I think another thing that we're seeing is people haven't taken photos since there are properties that haven't had photos taken in a decade you know what I mean they don't president. look like that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that kind of stuff is just that's where marketing where we used to be very aware and we're teaching best practices in marketing really makes a difference in, cr- in setting those expectations properly so that the reviews are good and the guest gets what the, what they expected that they were going to get or even more. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just think we've missed some of that. If you're a property manager that has, a, has value properties, don't ad- advertise in a luxury brand yeah. or as a luxury brand. The other thing, going back to what you were saying, Scott, about the hospitality in that same thing, is that we've moved to not seeing anyone, and that's not new, but we didn't replace it with hospitality. We've <laughs> replaced it with messaging that sounds like it's from a robot.
2: Yeah.
3: and It's the same thing. If you go to any website and you hit the chat, you know immediately if you have a person or if you don't. And then you're just writing agent over and over again until they finally give you somebody. Or you're pressing zero on the call line until they finally get somebody. No one doesn't want to deal with people, especially on vacation. So I don't know how we're going to, how to deal with that gap in expectations and reality right now in hospitality. It's going to be interesting to see what happens.
0: I don't sit in offices a ton, Amy, but I did it a few times this kind of early part of the summer. I have two local clients that I'm able to drive to and get to their offices pretty easily. And one in particular has that process where the guest checks in. They do have an automated message that says, hey, everything's okay. But they also do the phone call into the guest. And it's a reservationist that's calling on typically a Saturday, sometimes a Monday, and saying, hey, I just want to make sure everything was okay. I saw you guys were able to check in, no issues. By the way, we just sent you a link again to the guidebook. Here's a few things that you might want to do while you're there. Super simple. I listened to a dozen of them one day because I was sitting there doing an email report with a client. Took her, I don't know, nine minutes or something to do a dozen of them. They were all super quick. And I thought that person, like that uh, the person that received it on the other end is going to automatically have what I believe is that there's this like equal like you said, equilibrium expectations versus reality. And when they get it in, if there's no issues, I think you're in the middle. And then if you do things like that, you're like, tilting it more towards your side and then if one or two negative things happen you can recover because it's like you have 10 goodwill points i'm making this up but like 10 goodwill points in the bank so then if something negative happens they say oh i talked to Alyssa actually and let me call her back and i'm sure she can solve this air conditioning issue we're having or tell us how to fix it that sort of thing but when you get nothing but automated messages and responses and things like that and then something negative happens you're just like ah these people took all my money they didn't do anything to reach out to me it's like the the goodwill points are like negative 20 as opposed to plus 20 and then you end up with kind of a bad situation so i don't know what your thoughts are on that, Amy, just this idea of, okay, but we don't see them in person to get the keys. I get that. But what does the phone call take? I don't know, 45 seconds to do. And what goodwill are we getting out of that? And I feel like the cost is almost nothing because the reservation is was sitting there anyways, but it's a simple enough thing to add into the mix for sure.
3: I completely agree. I think that people right now, it's about relooking, like going back to where we were back in the mid 2000s where everything changes, right? We have an entirely new way of working with a customer. And so it's like going back and looking at the entire funnel from the time that they start looking for a vacation until the time that they rebook for the next year. Like what is every single step of that person's path and how can we make it more personalized while people are definitely personalization is a big topic in the marketing world right now. And there are a lot of companies that are really working to, create a more personalized experience, not a less. And I think we've just added a lot of technology. We've thrown tech after tech on top of each other, layered in. And no one's really, it doesn't look seamless yet. It doesn't feel seamless. It doesn't feel like a good experience yet. It's just that stage of transition. But I think right now, looking at where we are, looking at the data points, looking at what's going on with slow booking and things like that, the loss of repeat booking, especially in dry to markets, Like it's time to start really looking at this. Yes, it's been tough. It's time to get our head around it. And I think that looking at every single stage, like that first message that you send them when you're answering a question about the reservation or that first, even the contract sending the rental agreement and how that's done, sending their check-in instructions, all of that kind of stuff. It feels very transactional right now. I've stayed in multiple vacation rentals over the last 12 months. And it's extremely transactional. There's very little that's hospitality around it. It's here's your key code. It's almost like you're booking someone to clean your house. You know what I mean? It's very, there's nothing about it that makes me excited about coming. And honestly, there's a huge opportunity. Every We've we've done study after study about consumer behavior. And that period from booking until they come to the vacation is actually brings the most enjoyment. It's the looking forward to it. It's not <laughs> the actually being there. It's like it's that whole build up up to the vacation is where most of the happiness and the joy comes. And I think we've we don't do what we we don't do as much as we used to do with this layering of tech. I just don't think we've gotten our head
2: around it yet. Yeah. I can understand the pros and cons of layering in tech into the industry. I was a huge proponent of tech in the industry, introducing Point Central, uh, definitely moved things to remote check-ins, which offers a lot of value and convenience, but then there's the drawback of not having that personalized touch helped introduce Breezeway, and there's a lot of operational benefits around that piece from a tracking and a history and the messaging, but then you also start to automate some of the messaging to the guest side, so you start to take away some of that personal touch. So I think that's the opportunity, and we talk about this a lot, but unreasonable hospitality, how do we build hospitality back into our processes? And we need to look at each one of our steps in that process to figure out how can we have that personal touch? That's the next evolution. But if we haven't focused on marketing during the COVID boom, we definitely haven't focused on hospitality and i think that's the next opportunity we need to bring that hospitality feel back and focus on that focus on making people feel great
1: but we continue (laughs) to believe so i've offended one or two people to say (laughs) that one of our focuses is bringing hospitality back right and people take offense to that but again i don't mean it as negative just the way you guys are saying it's all been sucked out because things got easier and things got better and those things easier and better sure some of it had to change But Amy, to your point, like someone can go on a full vacation and never see any of us. Like they they could be, we're ghosts, right? And then for them, it truly is just, yeah, I hit book. I went there. I walked in the door. I didn't have to see anyone. I walked back out. You talk about repeat. Maybe you want to repeat, but otherwise they just think it was like robot, right? They don't know that there was heart behind it. They don't know that there was hospitality behind it. For them, it was 100% transactional. I booked, I stayed, I left and I'm on to the next one and then they assume that they're all like that and you just look and go that hospitality por- portion's just gone right now maybe there clearly there's a handful of people out there doing it but i think largely it's just missing and it's tech this tech <laughs> that enable this enable that
3: i think it's harder too for the companies that have been around for a while yeah. which is what we're seeing a little bit in this us versus them mentality especially on linkedin yeah. that oh, we want fresh voices, we want fresh faces. Like, looking at who's employing people right now, <laughs> like, who are the major employees? Who are the ones who are lobbying with FEMA to get beach renourishment projects? Who are the ones that are showing up at the CVB to make sure the destination engine is still going and that the state is still funding the, the roads and the things that have to be maintained in a destination? Like, all of that, what used to call a good old boy work, but that work still has to be done. And all a lot of these fresh voices are not they're not sitting at the tables to do those things right now, but they're very critical of the OG companies. But at the same time, it's like the challenge that the older companies have is that they whenever they want to implement something new, they have to adjust something old. It's not just throwing something new at it. It's that the process has to the process. It's not that the process is being added. It's being changed. And so there's change management, there's tech management, there's a lot that goes into that. So the newer companies today haven't had to deal with that because they largely, they signed up on systems that were all in one anyway. They had a lot of technology at their disposal in one platform. They were able to list their properties on Airbnb and Verbo. They did zero marketing and they had to do very little and have just had year over year growth for, what are we looking at now? Eight Eight years of year over year gains until now,
0: and really and sharpens like, over the last two. I, it and a half. does
3: fall apart eventually. So yeah. they eventually their systems are getting older too, and they're going to start experiencing this as well. So if you're newer, let me give you a little glimpse into your future. <laughs> <laughs> when you add a breezeway, right? For example, right now that means you had a whole maintenance system before. You had a messaging platform before. Like it's just like now it has to change. And some of those changes aren't seamless and we don't have perfect APIs right now still. And there's just a lot, it gets harder the bigger you get. And so at the same time, I think the big companies are really good about holding down the fort in terms of standards and best practices and stable companies and trust accounts and the things that really matter to keep the the destination credible, to keep the vacation real industry within the destination credible without having news stories after news stories about companies that went belly up and people who came and there was not a place to go for their vacation and all of that kind of stuff. When that starts happening, destinations can get harmed. And so I'm definitely more defensive about the OG than a lot of other people are, but I I do think that they're important in the ecosystem.
1: Yeah, we are as well. And it's funny because I just heard another podcast yesterday and they're talking about that divide because, you know, what we say, Amy, is they, a lot of these newbies, right? And again, 2019 ers especially they've had the wind at their back and they're looking around going, this is, why are you guys struggling? This business is a breeze until it's not right. Or right until that wind changes. And it's funny, one of the topics on the podcast I was listening to yesterday is, are we headed for a cliff, right? Or is this going to look like 2008 and really focused on, on the Airbnb crowd. And I think, and it'll be interesting to get your perspective, especially around data, right? Cause you can read And this week, I think we went through. Airbnb, oh my God, the sky is falling. All of these markets are down by fifty percent. AirDNA getting on a another podcast and saying, "Hey, that data, we're not seeing the same in that data." Yeah, but it's just that was
3: an interesting conversation. Yeah, like every channel, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. I yeah. was like, "Ooh, somebody struck a nerve." All the rooms. <laughs>
2: Thinking back to 2008, I see a lot of similarities and we're starting to see signs that things could be slowing down in similar ways. And I just wonder if yeah. we're being honest with ourselves as an industry. What, what do you see, Amy? Do you think that we're headed towards a similar fate as 2008 or is this different?
3: I mean, I, first of all, 2008 was a great year in vacation rentals. That We are very recession-proof as an industry. What's not recession-proof is tier three inventory in a recession. Mm. So, and also what's not defendable in a recession are the rates that we've been charging for the last 24 that's it. So I, yes, rates are going to come down and they need to, it's time. Right now you can go to Europe with the flight for cheaper than you can go to Ocean City or Gulf Shores. People are on Marble Beach. That's not going to happen forever. <laughs> you know, so. I, that, that always,
0: that, out of personal though, Amy, that always blows my mind, what people pay to spend a week here. Sometimes I'll yeah. look at it and be like, you paid what to spend a week here? Yeah. <laughs> I live here. I, I know what it costs actually, me to live here. Yeah. I
3: booked a week in Gulf Shores, actually. I, was in, I moved out of one house but, and I couldn't move into a new one until the, I bought it. And they weren't. we couldn't close until mid-May. So I was homeless for sure. about a month, a month and a <laughs> half. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like a two-bedroom beachfront condo is this? That's insane to me. It's insane yeah. that people are paying that. And it's also insane that all of those properties are tired. They're not even in good shape. Like mm-hmm. I... And on top of that, I just booked in Barcelona for the same price with the flight. <laughs> and I'm like, people are talking about the wave in Europe right now. The rates are so high here that right now, if you, the first thought is if we're going to spend that kind of money, so, maybe we should go to Ireland instead. Maybe we should go to Hawaii. Hawaii is not is a good place right now, rate-wise. I just think that right now, especially in the Southeast, the rates are not, they're not going to hold. I, but I. Going back to the cliff comment, I mean, like the people who own vacation homes to use them and they rent them out to help cover cost. that industry is solid as solid can be. It is it is on the uptick. We're still looking at year over year gains in those, especially from the occupancy level, which is really what matters right now. Rates going to come down, but if you can inch up occupancy, when rates start to come back, they'll be more stable. This was, a, this was a way up and down market, but I think that, but what you want to see is that trend line go up and I think our trend line of occupancy is moving up. And I think that our trend line of rate will follow, but we're going to have to take another pretty big dip down on rate to follow that. Now, the people who bought vacation homes and bought them in non-beachfront, non lakefront. front the things that are actually in residential neighborhoods, in vacation destinations, that stuff won't hold. It just there's not going to be a market for that forever. I think a lot of people made some buying decisions based on some bad data anyway, and I think that their lenders made some bad decisions based on data. And I think that that's going to create a real estate a small sector real estate bubble that that will we're already seeing pop.
2: so you see the potential contraction that we're working through right now as more segmented than 2008 a smaller impact on the overall industry is that right
3: i think it's it's a sector right it's the sector of that short-term rental buyer and largely airbnb driven and largely air dna packed on data right so there's like a so it's not enough to really hurt the country i don't and it's very localized for example you could look at all all for all of our markets, We've got four major vacation markets here. <laughs> and I, the beachfront stuff, totally fine. It's going to stay mm-hmm. fine. The second tier inventory, maybe across the street from the beach, that kind of stuff, totally fine. But when you start getting in those residential neighborhoods that back up off the beach, the things that people stay in when all of that is booked, I don't think that... I think that starts to go pretty quickly. The upside is that actually falls more in that affordable housing group, which could, as that stuff gets dumped back into the real estate market, it will take some pressure off the regulations. So is this a correction? I think is the bigger question. Is it really that some of this inventory really should not have been rental inventory and it was not not sustainable rental inventory? It was like for overflow. Yeah, and right the, now we uh, don't need a lot of overflow.
0: The viral tweet that you're mentioning, I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check it out. The one that I saw at least on Twitter was from Nick Gurley, and then he was posting. I believe, as you mentioned, his source claimed was from All the Rooms, and he was po- first of all he was posting revenue per available listing, which I'm not even super familiar with that metric. Maybe Amy, you're a bit savvier on all the revpans part of straight pars, data
3: because they're only measuring yeah. listings, so okay. it's like they're that's what. They're just scraping on a per listing basis, and it's just the easiest metric to normalize that information.
0: But they claim Myrtle Beach was down 47%. I'm like, I would have my hand, my, my neck would be in a vice if we were down 47% right now, year on year from last year. And then of course, Jamie from AirDNA comes in with a lot more authority in my experience using those different platforms, a lot better validity of data. Obviously, I think key data is the cream of the crop as far as accuracy goes. But AirDNA obviously was, here's our, <laughs> what we see as far as occupancy and revenue and things like that. But I quote tweeted it, Amy and I put the Mark Twain quote, which is that lie can make its way halfway around the world before the truth has time to put its boots on. And that one went halfway around the world before JB even got to it the next day and was like, here's the actual <laughs> truth. That thing got a ton of reach and I was scratching my head. And it's a, what's it called? A Shark test where you see what you want to see. People saw that data and then they went, ah, I knew it. I knew it was all going to blow up and be terrible. And then of course, you know, that there's a little more nuance to it than that, as you correctly have. A shared. lot
3: of that is, are these listings that got added? That supply growth is not, 100%. a lot of that is not tier one supply growth. It was tier three, tier four supply growth. And that particular segment of inventory isn't as bookable. It's just not as attractive to guests. If you're going on vacation, you don't want to stay in a retirement golf course community, 10 miles from the beach, you know what I mean? You can do that at home. Yeah. Like it's, but for, I do For a lot less
0: per night. <laughs>
3: yeah, a lot <laughs> I There are just the subdivisions. There've been so many subdivisions built in these destinations for full-time residents. And that subdivision community isn't beach. It's not a vacation experience. And I just, I think what we're seeing is guests want the vacation experience. They want to be on the beach or at least feel like they are, you know what I mean? Not to be in someone's neighborhood. You know? you should be
0: at least should at least be able to taste it. You should be able to walk out that house, and even if you're not right on the beach, we should be able to like sniff the breeze a little bit. You said data there, Amy. Maybe we could turn the page just slightly into Darm and the conference is happening here in a little bit. So maybe you could just give a little kind of brief intro into what you're doing this year because I think it's unique to my knowledge, at least having been to a few of the Darms, the Darm and the Women's Conference, kind of backing each other up a little bit. Do you have some dates? Do you have some info that we can go through and then yeah, obviously answer questions as well?
3: When I took a little bit of a break and came back, and part of the reason was is that I knew that DARM, which is the Vacation Rental Data and Revenue Management Conference needed to happen. That was a, that was a conference that I didn't, that I just really felt like it's, it just needs to be there. And so started working through that and thinking about it and decided to go forward with it. And in doing that, also decided to go forward with the Vacation Rental Women's Summit. So I'm trying something new. I, both of those conferences are very special and, and, that the Data and Revenue Management Conference, super executive, super high-end, very intelligent, very cerebral show. And so it's basically technology, data, revenue managers, and executive is what the attendee base is like. And it's a, just a really good show. The Women's Summit, on the other hand, is just rock star special. Like it's, a, it's leadership, professional development, personal development, but also a lot of customer service, property care, marketing, that kind of stuff too huge networking event, and just a real motivational, inspirational event. Interestingly, not a lot of crossover in attendees between the shows. So I decided to do them both on the same week. So I was looking at, they're they're very similar in size. They're similar in kind of the breakouts and stuff like that format. So we're going to do them at the Omni in Nashville, downtown. It's right off of Broadway. The Omni connects to the Country Music Hall of Fame. So it's a really cool hotel. And we're doing the Women's Summit on December <laughs> Get this right, 3rd <laughs> through the 5th. So it starts on Sunday night and goes through Tuesday the 5th. And then Darm kick up, immediately kicks on. So what we have is we have a crossover industry party on December 5th with the women and the Data and Revenue Management Conference attendees. And that should be pretty epic. And then we move into Darm starting on Wednesday morning and that's all day Wednesday and Thursday. So a lot of full week in Nashville of a, a pretty intense learning. One thing that we found that was that week is the week that we normally do the Women's Summit. And it's after Thanksgiving, but it's before really everybody's holiday stuff kicks in. So it's a dead week pretty much everywhere. No one does a lot of conferences then. But for us in our industry, it's a really nice mm-hmm. downtime to go. The holiday just gives it a, a different energy, just having that, like we were just saying, our industry doesn't, we don't get to celebrate holidays. <laughs> so this is basically like the holiday industry party of the year.
2: <laughs>
3: okay. But the Women's Summit is, a, like I said, it's a lot of professional development, personal development, leadership stuff. The Data and Revenue Management Conference, we take a deep dive into the industry data. Also, how to use data, how to put it in the context. Honestly, all those people that are posting on that comment, on that post that you mentioned, like all those commenters, we should be inviting them to the Data and
1: Revenue
3: (laughs) Management Conference. There there are nuances in destinations. And what happens in Merle doesn't happen in Gulf Shores. You know what I mean? And none of us know anything about the Colorado markets. You know what I mean? It's very... It's individually, you know what's happening in your destination, just like you could look at the data, Conrad, and know that Myrtle's not down 47%, at least on the beach, right? Yeah. I think the data conference will have two tracks of revenue management information of education. So we have a foundational revenue management track that really talks about setting strategy, things that if you're new- or, or you are managing revenue managers, or if you're in that adjacent in that spot, you're not really down deep in the weeds in revenue management, that's a great track. And then there's an advanced revenue management track that really goes into very deep for those revenue managers who are in, the, in their rates every day. And then outside of that, we've got a lot of executive content and we're pulling marketing back and we're adding AI in this particular show. It was data. Okay, so Darm was data and revenue management. So I think I'm going to put the A <laughs> like put it back into AI. So I'm adding another little segment to it and another track. I Adam, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, and I just it's a little hard to put education together right now because so few people are in it. There's another aren't best practices on it, and we don't know who's doing it well yet. But we're trying to put some ideas together. When we started the data and revenue management conference, we didn't really have people that were in it either. So it's just, this is our fifth year to do that conference. And I think it's gonna be really insightful, especially this year.
2: I love to hear that you're bringing marketing back to Darm. And I, I love to hear that you're adding AI. It's amazing to think that five years ago, There were no data and revenue management experts. And now five short years later, you've got a whole group of experts in the industry that's grown up around it. That was very similar to what it was like in in 2008 with marketing. We'd go to Verma shows and we'd come away with pages worth of notes of things that we could go back and execute when we got to the office. So excited for that and excited to add AI. But what do you think you do different with Darm and the Women's Summit? Everyone talks about how great they are. What have you guys done? Well, I serve
3: a lot of food and alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I do Simple. a lot of whining and dining at these shows. But outside of that, I think that we curate the education differently. I, we don't take submissions for sessions. I go out and figure out what we want to talk about. And then we find out the best people in the industry to do that and somehow try to bribe them to come and do that and speak like, and share their information. This year, we are switching it up. I think the conference format, there's been a lot of criticism about it, about how these conferences have been, that they feel stale and things like that. I don't know that what we're hearing, the criticism and the actual, what they're really concerned about are the same thing.
2: What do you think people are complaining about? Is it a lack of connection, a lack of networking?
3: I actually, I think the engagement part. I think that... What we can do a lot better is create more interactive, engaging sessions. I don't think people learn the same way they did when I was in, when a lot of us were coming up for the same podcasting alone. Look at this. I, I, people just consuming how they consume information. I used to have a magazine and that used to be a really good source of info. And now it's what you guys are doing, and the magazine's dead. I think that we've got to adapt to how people consume information and create an in-person environment that that appeals to that. So I think you'll see a lot more gadgetry, which Conrad, you'll appreciate at the show, a lot more tech engagement, a lot more ability to ask questions a lot and be able to interact with the people on stage outside of just passing a mic around and things like that. I think that we will see more video and just some of the things that that we feel like are more engaging. I don't think that some of the panels that we've had in the past are really helpful. You go to these sessions and you put people on a panel and someone moderates and they run down their list of questions and then it ends. And I don't know that anyone got any real takeaways from that. So I think we'll move away from some of that. I, but I, the fact is a lot of the people that, when they say, oh, we hear from the same people all the time, Some of those people are the most experienced people in the industry. So it's, I don't know. So I'm trying to like weigh out. It's still about, okay, what topics do we need to cover and who is the best person to speak on that? And if that person has been on stage one time or a thousand times, that doesn't matter to me. If they're the most knowledgeable person on that subject, they're going to be on stage. What you don't want to doubt is dumb it down just for entertainment. I don't want to do that at all, especially on these topics that we need to be elevating on, not just spinning our wheels and making each other happy about. I and mean, we can all congratulate each other and be influencers online, but that's, where does that go? I mean, there's no meaning to that. There's no substance. I, I just, I think it's fun and our industry is such a family. And I think a lot of the, we want to bring up new speakers. We want to bring up, get people on stage who haven't done it before, but really know what they're talking about and help them learn to gain their confidence to do that. But but I don't think that we just put people on stage just because they've got a microphone somewhere. No. You know no. what I mean? I, 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 I'm kind I of think- on the fence on that.
0: My, my thought process always, Amy, was the best sessions I go to is not necessarily the experience level of the speaker, but how much of a practitioner they are. That's the word that I like to use, like practitioner. And sometimes you go to a, a session, I've been to some at all qu- sorts of conferences, where the person you can tell is a bit nervous, or they're shaky or whatever. But I'm like, what you're saying is true and valid, and I'm learning from it. And they, we just need to encourage those people and smile and say, hey, like, you got this, that sort of thing, as opposed to someone who can get up there and be perfectly polished, almost like they're a professional presenter. They're not like a professional person that's actually knowledgeable about the short-term rental Industry. And I have seen some of those people out there where they have all these theories, but then I'm like, okay, but what's their actual practice? What are they doing day to day that's actually impacting this industry? And, you know, they really don't have that. So I, I think the, the Dharm conference, the, the benefit that I got out of it on both sides, being in front of the room and being in the back of the room, was going and sitting and not talking and just listening and saying, okay, what can I get from this? And then listen to the person, what they're saying, the content of what they're saying as a practitioner. Not oh, I maybe I have slick slides and I know how to make things look cool in keynote that's not really the core of what it'd be but
3: well, and that's one thing that we're doing a little bit different this time, Conrad, and you're gonna love this is we're actually bringing some people in from outside me, a good thing you yeah. know to, I mean so like every session is it a it's an educational session like is it a how-to yeah. class like a lot of um, or is it an idea generation? Let me show you some new innovations that are out there now and give you some ideas, you know, that kind of thing. Is it that kind of session, a, um, a state of the industry kind of discussion about where we are, that's hopefully leading into more networking and to more understanding of the big picture. Like those are different types of sessions. And I think they should be treated differently. And I don't think we, you know, we just kind of, if did every session to kind of follow the same, either presenter or panel format without really respecting what was going on in that, you know, what it was. And I hope that, that we're able to do that. One thing that we're doing, too, is there's a new group of revenue managers who are forming um, a revenue management association, um, Sarah Fran, Jordan Luck, um And they are, I think it's the right thing to do. I mean, it's a lot like they're, they're helping to drive that edge I mean, the revenue management track. So we're working really closely with them for them. <laughs> <laughs> like to to put those revenue management tracks together. Quite honestly, you know, it it's it's so much that when you're it's hard to to put the education together for the people that are without their
0: yeah, input. Yeah. Scott, what's your kind of, have you been to some of these conferences? I guess I'm just curious always from the operational perspective, you know, what learnings can be had from those types of events and stuff.
1: Yeah. So it's funny. So uh, I suppose there's one I can go to. I don't know that I'm the perfect fit for the women's conference, but, uh, but darn, because, because it's funny as I sit here talking with Amy, now keep in mind, I'm the outsider of the industry, right? So I just met Amy at Keystone for the first time, right? So I've got a completely different view of Amy, right? And then uh, we find out, shit, Amy and I came pretty close to intersecting
3: pretty far <laughs> Yeah. So for
1: me, Conrad, and I've said this, and Amy's already addressed it. And that's why I was sitting here grinning is my issue with Burma. And that's the one that I've been to. I've been to the main ones. I've been to the regionals is it's all chest puffing stuff, right? You're not getting anything real. And I do think some of the voices need to change. I'm not in the big swing of a lot of voices need to change, but more, mostly where you're coming from, Conrad is I see you and I hear you, but I also see and hear that's not how you actually run your business because I can see it the other way. But I like where Amy's going on the fact of really building that connection because I think that's the missing part, right? And that's what I've been saying for probably six months now that we've been doing this is it's time for real conversation, right? You put people in the room and have real conversation, right? Even on this data stuff. and. We all have the answers together. All of us are in this crazy business together. And if we really sat down and had real conversation, the answers exist. And my guess is that's likely the success of the women's conference, right? They're going to sit down, drink, eat, and have real conversation. And I don't think that's going on anywhere else. I think that is the the entire missing part, right? And then we all come out thinking, oh, look how great we did. We talked shit. We said our business is doing great. We said, everything's perfect. We leave Verma and then we go right back into the trouble without picking up a best practice or, hey, how are you handling this? I think what Amy's doing, I think she's resolving kind of a problem that that I to her point with what people are saying about the conferences. I don't think people are saying that's what the problem is, but I think that is the problem. They're walking away just going back to the same problems without any new solutions, without any new conversations, without any new contacts. Just, oh, I was in Vegas for three days. Oh, I was in Orlando for three days. I would agree with that, Scott. I I think that some of the challenges that we're having at the conferences
2: are that they they feel a little cold and impersonal. We're not having those meaningful conversations. And then on top of that, you're not coming away with any actionable items or best practices that you could go back and implement. So you feel as if the conference – is not giving you the outcome that you're looking for. It feels a little broken. And I think that's similar to the unreasonable hospitality conversations that we're continuing to have. We're looking to have those... True engaging conversations on the guest side and hopefully on the homeowner side as well. But we've also got to have those with colleagues. We've got to have those with competitors. We've got to have those at these conferences. And I think that's what's probably missing to your point around connections. We've got to develop these connections. And then in addition to that, we've got to create these conversations and then open things up so that we can build on best practices and we can continue to learn from each other. Is that what you guys are thinking about, Amy?
3: I think so. A little bit smaller, you know, than like VR made show. It's an exhibit. I mean, which is great. I mean, they do it really well. Everybody goes. And, you know, it is a it's a really good networking show and it's a great way to see people that you don't wear out. I um I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be in Orlando. <laughs> like i already yeah, I um I think that um peace. I mean I I hope. I mean what I try to do is go deeper. Like it's never that first question that you want to answer. It's the next question and the next question, right? So I'm not saying I'm going a deep in questions, but I'm trying to two to three deep, you know, and get those answered. I think that that that, that resonates. I also think that VR Mintel, because it has been so for the um large, you know, the the people with that large smart hair and the destinations, you know, the OGs for lack of a better term, that are we have a lot of experienced people there. So there's a a, level, a little bit less bullshit because there's a lot more account. You know, like you said, the chest, I mean, it's hard to do that when, like in, when everyone in the room is better. Yeah. Like, especially like in the lows, like Wilmington, well, mean, right? Like, you know, you've got property managers on stage. They know that everybody knows their dirty laundry. You know what I mean? You can't just go do that. And I think that because of the group at our shows, like people know who really knows what. And I don't, you can't really get that over on somebody at you know the Dharma the Women's Summit show because people will call you out on it pretty quickly. I um I do think we've got some though, and I I think that the older companies have to you know really be a little bit vulnerable, authentic, and realize that you know the industry this is another major transition. They of course will survive it, but we all don't know what we don't know right now. You know this. This whatever we're calling this digital hospitality, remote hospitality, zero touch hospitality, I don't know what we're, you know, whatever the term for it is going to be, that is a new way of interacting with guests and with homeowners. And I I, I mean, that's a challenge. That's a challenge with the existing systems. I think marketing is a challenge, setting expectations. I think it's true too, that going back to the conference thing, that people's expectations of what the conference is going to you know the, versus the reality of what they actually got from that conference is what's creating so much of the friction so i'm hoping that we'll be able to set these expectations for these two properly and, and come you know let them out but you're right adam i mean the whole idea we used to just notebooks and notebooks um of takeaways from these shows and that is definitely not happening anymore
0: Conrad here again. We had such a phenomenal time recording this one that we have to put it into two parts. So stay tuned next week. We'll drop part two on the feed. If we could get your review of part one, we would greatly appreciate it. Leave it on your podcast app of choice. Otherwise, check back next week and we'll have the feed and our conversation part two with Amy.